Well, we're going to look at the next bit of Ezra. And uh, if you've not been with us or seen them online, uh, Ezra is a book written in the Old Testament. It's a book of the Old Testament. It's about a guy. His name was Ezra. And uh, he participated in a, a, a movement and that is in some ways similar to our situation. Their situation was that they had been removed from their place of worship by hundreds of miles, and it had been ransacked and destroyed, and they had been left and abandoned in another nation away from the place that symbolized to them God's presence. And they... Uh, after 70 years, you, we haven't been away from this building for 70 years. I say we, I've been in this building every week, but everybody else hasn't been away from it. Well, Mark has been in this building every week as well. <laughs> but you've had to be away from church, not for 70 years. Uh, they were going back to a place that their parents had told them about, and when they got there, it was rubble. Hopefully you're not finding rubble as you return to the church. You're coming back to a place that may be familiar, and there are lots of folks that are joining us at the moment, so this isn't a familiar place, and um, that's really encouraging. What does it mean to rebuild? That's why we're doing Ezra. There's a story I want to tell you that is um, uh, it's an ancient story. It's a story of a farmer who had two sons. It's not a Bible story, just... The answer isn't Jesus. It's a, it's a story about a father who had two sons, a farmer and a father. He was both, and he had two sons. And they, the farm did well, it grew, and the father died. He came to the end of his life, and he left the farm to his two sons to be divided equally between them. And they did that. That was fine, and they fulfilled his will. One son married and had children, and the other son never married and, and didn't have children. And years went by, and they went through perhaps uh, a difficult period of time where finances were tough, where uh, the, the harvests weren't so good. And then they had a bumper harvest. They couldn't predict or be sure that that harvest would be repeated. By this time, they were becoming elderly themselves, and the one guy lived on his own, and the other guy, uh, the other son, had a, uh, a family and, and, and grandchildren. And they had decided, uh, in accordance with their father's will, that they'd split the farm in two, in two equal parts. They had their own farmhouses, they had their own barns, and they had this bumper harvest, and they pulled in all the grain into their separate barns from each other's fields. And that night, the brothers couldn't sleep. The brother that had the family was worried about his other brother. And he thought to himself, my other brother has no children that support him. What if this is the last harvest that is uh, bountiful? What if we have to go for several years without any more grain? I've got family who will look after me. I've got kids that will go out and work. My brother has nothing. My brother is a kind man, and he'll never ask, and he'll always refuse if I offer him more. And as he rolled around in his bed worrying about this, he decided that he would get up, and he would go to the barn, and he would secretly take some of his own sacks of grain and put them in his brother's barn without telling him in the hope that his brother wouldn't notice because he felt that his brother needed the grain more than him. 
At the same time, his other brother couldn't sleep and was worrying about the situation. They have all this grain that had come. And his other brother had kids and grandchildren and so many mouths to feed. And he was alone in his farm. He didn't need all that grain, he thought to himself. And he thought that if he went and asked, offered his brother some of the grain, his brother would refuse because he was a kind-hearted man. So the brother who had no children, who was worried about the brother who had so many mouths to feed, resolved that he would get up and, that night and that he would secretly go and grab a wheelbarrow and get the, some sacks of grain and put them in his brother's barn without telling him so that his brother wouldn't realize that he had more food in order to feed his family. And the story goes that both brothers got up, fetched their wheelbarrows, went into their, um, their barns, stocked up their wheelbarrows, and met halfway. And the story doesn't tell us what happened. The only part of the story that's left is that, the, 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 and you may have heard this fable before, that it started to rain. And the story is that these were the tears of God weeping for joy. For two of his children had understood what it was all about. I don't know if you've had that experience where you are in the sea and the waves are coming this way. The waves are coming towards you. And uh, at one point, you're you, you enjoying this kind of experience of them hitting you, surfing. I don't know, you're paddling up to your waist or whatever. But sometimes, on some, in some places in the sea, you can become aware of something that's a bit more frightening, which is as the waves come in this way, underneath is an undertow, underneath is a, a force pulling you out into the sea. And there's kind of two forces. There's the one that's pushing you up the beach, which is the one you want. You want to ride it, you want to surf, but there is something underwater, unseen, an undertow that pulls you the other way. And it seems to me that in life, we sometimes have two pressures, it's particularly those of us who might call ourselves religious or others might call us religious, people of faith. The one uh, pressure, or the one thing is the thing we want to embrace is where we're saying to God, what can I do for you? Here's my life, what can I do for you? But underneath, pulling us the other way is often a consistent pressure where we actually say, what are you doing for me, God? And we've sung incredibly uh, powerfully, Sheila and the band of lettuce, and this sense of what can I do for you, God? But very often, without even thinking, our legs are being pulled another way, and we slip into, well, what are you doing for me, God? And these two brothers have this understanding that life isn't about what will everybody else do for me. It's about what can I do for others. And when humanity lives that way, we are all blessed. That's how heaven will be, where we are all out for others and looking to do what God wants. Last week, we asked a question about the temple that was being rebuilt, and we talked about church, and we asked whether church is a people or a place, and we said both and. we doing this context of uh, God's call to the people to return. 
Cyrus has become the king of Persia. Persia is an empire that has taken over the Babylonian empire. And he has now got control of these refugees that he's inherited from the previous empire. Uh, these people of Judah, these people from Jerusalem, they're now uh, rattling around his empire. And I suspect kind of superstitiously, he decides that he wants to please every kind of God that there might be, a bit like touching wood and crossing his fingers and doing the crosses and hopping, whatever things he can, all, cover all the superstitions. So he decides to say that the people can go back to their place and build their temple. And he issues a decree and uh, he spells it out that all the peoples of his empire are to let the people of Judah go back and rebuild their temple. And he says, wherever they may be, they are got to be freely allowed to return. It's quite dramatic stuff. And he says then at the end that they are to take up an offering for them and to provide silver and gold for them to rebuild the temple. And we'll come back to that in a few moments. And we read these words. Then the family, the heads of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose heart her God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. Now we thought a little bit earlier, a few weeks ago, about what it means to have our hearts prepared, uh, sorry, our hearts moved. And we said then, and I want to just underline it, that God moves each person's heart differently. So that this phrase is implying that there were people who God said, I would like you to go back now, and there were people who he didn't say that to. And I'm trusting that God has spoken to you and encouraged you to come to church tonight at least. And God is bringing you back into this place. And there are others who are anxious or fearful or on holiday or for a range of reasons. God hasn't yet moved their heart. So not everyone is moved in the same way. And we're going to come on and think a little bit more about that. And it's really important not to compare ourselves to other people and to feel that we must be moved in the same way as others. Because... Diversity is at the very heart of God's creation. There are billions of species and all kinds of different flowers and allegedly every snowflake is different. I don't know whether that's true or not. But I do know that God likes diversity and it's not about conforming and being the same as everybody else. But I do want to say that God will be moving our hearts, whoever we are, that there is a sense in which God is saying, what... Will you do for me? Will you follow my call, my whisper, my um, instruction? And they prepared to go. So they had to move hundreds of miles. They were going to a place that they didn't know, but their parents had told them about. They were going to a rubble. It was a big deal. It was a tricky thing, and they prepared. They weren't just setting off and be back that afternoon. They were moving lock, stock, and barrel. Now, occasionally, God will ask some of us to do the same, but, and to move physically. But the vast majority of us, God asks us to move out emotionally, out of our comfort zone, out of our world where it's what can you do for me, God, into the world of others, and it's what can I do for them. So God invites us to go metaphorically, if you like, emotionally to different groups of people. 
It may be the lost around us, those around us who don't really grasp or understand where they are and what the point of their life is. And though they may, feel, they may not feel lost, we sense that they are lost. Sheep don't often know they're lost. They're just frustrated that they're not, life isn't as good as it ought to be. That's a pretty good description of many of the people we live with. They don't know that they're lost. It's just they can't understand why life isn't great. It may be that God is inviting us to go to our enemy, to the people who we find difficult, and saying, I want you to love your enemy. The word will be different to all of us. It may be that God is inviting us to go to the poor, to reach out of our own world and our own closed mind and to feel and sense and hear the voices of others. It may be that God is inviting us and calling us and moving our heart to go to those who are weak. We, we, we may live amongst who are vulnerable, who are in one way or another not strong. It may be that God is inviting us to go to the broken, those who have made big mistakes in life, those who uh, have found themselves in a, a, a place where their dreams are shattered and they are not able to do and look forward to what they had hoped when they were younger they would be able to do. It may be that God is asking us to go to the trapped, those who are enslaved by addictions or thought patterns or, or, or family patterns of life that mean they feel imprisoned. It may be that God's inviting us to go to the young and those who are still growing and, 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 and whatever. There's a whole lot of different groups of people. And I'm not saying that you change your location this week, I'm asking whether God might be asking us to be aware of our mindset. Because God has placed us in these places for this week. Where we will be this week is no accident. God has called us to be there amongst people. And as they were called, they went to go and build. And I want to just think about this for a few moments because it seems to me that all of us build with our lives. Our lives create something. Our lives uh, in, affect other people one way or the other. But the question I want to ask is, what is it that perhaps God might be inviting us to build in others? What might he be saying, I want you to do? And you may, we may say, well, I don't know how to do that. So I don't know what that means. We'll, we'll unpack that in a moment, I hope. But I want to suggest that it may be that some of us are being invited to build faith amongst those who are skeptical. skeptical. And we say, well, how do I build faith in all of these things? We start with praying. We continue by modeling it. And just us living with an unashamed, quiet and gentle faith amongst people who believe there is no God, we influence and we change. We don't have to have the answers. We don't have to have arguments. In fact, arguments are generally unhelpful. We just live with faith. It may be that God is asking us to build faith in the skeptical, hope in the despairing, very similar. How do we bring hope to someone? It's not about telling them to cheer up. That is really, really unhelpful, damaging, and pointless. Having, bringing hope to someone is simply by walking the journey of their hopelessness with them without it infecting us so that we hold on to hope. And that becomes infectious for them. 
And it's hard. It's hard when you live with people who are negative and despairing and see no future and feel life is right at the rock bottom. But we stay in that situation with hope and we create hope. Maybe that God is asking us to build restoration in broken lives. And similar things, it's about modeling it. It's about being in the dirty and broken and messy places where people are, where we think all oh, other people will criticize us for being here. God calls us as a friend of the sinners into these places. It may be that God is asking us to build strength in the weak. It may be that God is asking us to build salvation in the lost. That's quite a ringtone, that is. <laughs> That's all right. It may be that in, in different ways we're being invited to build, maybe justice for the oppressed, that God's put on our heart things that are unfair and wrong, and he's inviting us to build. He's inviting us to build peace for the fearful and to pass on the peace that God has granted us and to provide strength for people who are afraid. Because very often what people need when they are afraid is not someone telling them not to be afraid. It is someone who walks with them who isn't afraid and just quietly lives it. And these are things that we can build in other people and building love in the unloved. And God will have called us to a whole range of different people. It may start with our family, that these are the things we're to build just in the, the people we have the closest relationships with. Or maybe our friends, the people that we've grown up with or that we see often now or from time to time or maybe communicate from a distance with. It may be that God is asking us to build these things around our neighbours and the people we encounter. It may be that God is inviting us to do this in our work context with our patients, our students, our clients, our colleagues, our employers, our employees. It may be that God is inviting us to it with our community, our colleagues, or maybe simply among strangers that God will place in our lives. If you say, how, do I, how can my life build anything? Our lives are building stuff all the time. It's just partnering with God to do it. And we do it with our time. And we say, God, here I am, use me this week. Here's my time at work. Help me to build faith or hope or peace in the people I work with. Lord, here are my conversations with people, uh, with my family. Will you help me to build in them strength or faith or salvation? It may be our skills, the things that we're good at, that we uh, uh, maybe the part of our job, maybe just part of our hobbies. It may be that God wants to use our hands. We're not particularly skilled, but there's a job that needs doing. There's a garden that needs clearing. There's a, a meal that needs cooking. There's a, a lift that person needs driving for. It may be that God is asking us to give us his ears, that we simply sit with people and listen and hear and give the love of Christ in these difficult places by simply listening. It may be that God is asking us to give from our resources. And that's part of what they had to do. They gave an offering. We'll come back to that in a moment. But whatever it is, it needs to be intentional. It's a decision that my life will build something. 
And Ezra chapter 2, which I'm not going to read to you for reasons which will very clearly become obvious to you, it's just a range of all these folks who went and did it, who took up the call and the numbers from each family that did it. So there's the first part of Ezra 2, then there's a whole load more. I just want to highlight this bit, the musicians, the descendants of Asaph, 128 musicians. We've been blessed by our musicians being early adopters, being people who returned to our services first and being prepared to do that. And that was similar there. They went back. A whole load more people went back. And uh, then a whole load more people went back. And eventually it says the whole company numbered 42,360. And it says that they also took their male and female slaves. And that may cause a little bit of, of concern for some of us. I want to just commend to you, some months ago, right at the very beginning, in our questions of life, you can find it online, we did a thing about slavery in the Old Testament. We need to understand that the concept of slavery amongst the people of God is very different from how slavery was used by the Roman Empire and then how it was used by other oppressive empires. In the Jewish faith understanding, when a person became poverty-stricken, and rather than starve, they had no such thing as welfare, state, or benefits. When a person was starving, they would sell themselves into the, the service of a more wealthy family, and they would be their servants. They would live with them, and in return for working, they would be provided with food and shelter and health, and they would live. And that was called slavery. It's a very different concept. So they took with them the poor who they supported, They took with them the people who were dependent on them. They took the whole lot, and they took them a long way. And it says that when they arrived at the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, that's the rubble, really, some of the heads of the family gave free will offerings. So these folks had already uh, made the sacrifice of being there, but they then themselves gave to the work. And you'll see, I don't quite understand all the equivalents of it, but it's a lot of gold. It's a lot of silver. Some of the stuff was stuff that they had uh, collected or nicked from the temple, the priestly garments, some, but others of it was just their own wealth. Now, that followed on from the offering in chapter 1, which was made by the people uh, back in, in, in captivity who were making an offering for them to go. So there was two offerings. There was the offering of the people staying behind for the people going, and when the people got there, the people who, uh, those people made their own offering. So I want to explore for a few moments what free will offerings means. It's a phrase that's used. Well, it means, first of all, what it says on the tin, that the giving was freely offered. It was about what they felt they should do. You'll see there uh, in verse 69, it says, according to their ability, they gave to the treasury. So they gave out of what they could. It wasn't a set price. It wasn't, this is what you had to do. It wasn't demanded of them. There was an invitation to give. It was not a tax. It was not what they had to do. It was what they were invited to let their heart do. And it wasn't a set price. It was according to their ability. And for their second offering, it was part of their service. They couldn't say, well, uh, it wasn't the question of the people that aren't working give the giving. It was both groups, the people who were staying behind and the people who were going to rebuild the temple. I think the the, the offering by the people back home is particularly remarkable because there is no suggestion that it was just 
the, the people of faith that gave. They just gave to their neighbors. All their neighbors assisted them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, with valuable gifts. It's quite incredible. They wanted people to be blessed and they wanted to rebuild the temple. It was to be valuable because they didn't want the reputation of God to look cheap, to look run down, to be broken any longer. It was costly generation, uh, generosity. And God's work is costly. But we want to give him the best. So rather hesitantly and reluctantly, because it's not my favorite subject, I just want to talk just a little bit about how giving applies to us, whether to the church that we're a part of, whether it's this church, whether it's to other churches. Um, I'm always reluctant to talk about these things, so it's only when it comes up in Scripture, ideally, and that we talk about things. Nobody really wants a sermon uh, on giving uh, this was the best sermon on giving I'd ever heard. Nobody really wants it. Nobody really wants one of those uh, uh, pastors that uh, is standing over and judging. And the good news about giving is that I have no idea what anybody gives. Uh, it, uh, it's nothing to do with me. I don't know whether you are the biggest giver in the church or whether you don't give anything. I have no idea. But I do want to try and give some principles about free will giving that apply to whatever church you're a part of and apply to whatever other mission work. We talked about compassion. We've talked about open doors. There are other agencies that are giving and supporting. So why do we give to this work? Why are we following on? Now, you say we're not. We haven't taken up an offering. We used to in the old days. Uh, the old days, pre-COVID days, we would take up an offering every Sunday and we've decided not to do that. Partly because we're not supposed to be handling cash, but more importantly because we think it's, it's kind of difficult for visitors and maybe because it gives the wrong signal and I'll come back to that in a moment. So here are some principles of giving. Firstly, that all we have is a gift from God. Everything we have is his. It all belongs to him. And uh, we talked about Jesus in, in, in the context of communion. And he has given us so much. He's given us the health and life and skills that enables us to do the jobs we do and have the income we have and the inheritance we've received. All of that is a gift from God. The moment we think we deserved it, we earned it, we were the hardest working, we're the most skilled, and we forget who gave us the brain, who gave us the energy, who gave us the health, we're in trouble. The problem is that when we give something to God, uh, we d hold on to what we give back. And he's given us so much, and he invites us and encourages us to share. He gives to us that we might give. Now, this is kind of awkward because uh, this church isn't financed by any external grants, Baptist Union or the government or anything. In fact, we give to the Baptist Union everything my food, my clothes, my holidays, paid for by all of you guys giving. So it's kind of embarrassing to talk about it. But I also owe it to the people who do give to remind those who don't. 
one of the things that has been alerted to me in terms of our giving, I don't know the details, don't know anybody, is that we are too reliant as a church on a few people giving. We really need to spread the load. So part of this is not so much about me, but about those, uh, on behalf of those who are very generous, and saying, let's make sure that we're all doing what we can. Robert Foster says, giving with a glad and generous heart has a way of routing out the tough old miser within us. Even the poor need to know that they can give. Just the very act of letting go of money or some other treasure does something within us. Something destroys the demon greed. And our giving needs to be from the heart. It needs to be free will. It needs to be not conformed. And not because the bag is passed in front of us that makes us do it but just because we want to give to God's work. We want to see people released to serve him. And so, well, how do I give and what do I give and, and how much and all of that? Well, the Bible, some Christians see it very precisely. Some Christians see it, uh, sort of rebel against that. And I'm a kind of a halfway house. The Bible does talk about 10% does talk about a tithe. It actually says that's not what your giving needs to be. It says that you give 10% to the temple, to the priests, in fact. And then on top of that, you give to the poor. But 10% for some of us is a huge step forward. For some of us, frankly, it's fine. So I want to encourage you to think, where do I begin with giving? What do I do? I would encourage you to aim towards 10%. Remember that the giving is to be as each one of us is able. We don't charge for church. That's really important that coming in here is free. That's really important that anybody in need can come in. If we were to charge to come into church and to do all the things that our church does, I'm guessing it would be in the region of £20 a head per service, which nobody wants. That would be awful, wouldn't it? So we ask, if you can, to give what feels right to you. And if you have no idea where to go, aim towards 10%. You aim towards 10% in all your giving. You're giving to charities, you're giving to mission, you're giving to individuals in need. And when you've got to 10% on all of that, you say, okay, I'm going to aim for 10% to the church that I'm a part of and move on with 15% uh, overall giving, 20% overall giving, whatever it is. If you give what you need, what you do not need, it isn't giving. And that's the, the, the point, that we choose to give first. And that's another reason why we want to stop taking up an offering, that it's not about reminding us to give because we've chosen to give. It's what we want to, give, to do. We give first, not the leftovers. And the tie into all of this is that the money we give builds, whether we give to the Compassion Appeal for Haiti, whether we give to the work of Open Doors supporting um, the persecuted church around the world in Afghanistan and other places, whether we give towards a church that releases uh, the folks to work full or part-time or releases the building to be a building that is useful and attractive to the community or enables us to do a food bank or enables us to do children's work or enables us to do meals for the elderly. Whatever it is, we give to release. And Jesus talks about building uh, up uh, treasures on earth. And the reality is that we've all got treasures and we've got a choice. We can take them with us 
or we'll leave them here. Now, if we just build our treasures for ourselves, if we just think everything is mine and I'm going to hold on to it, it rots. We don't take it with us. The only way to take our treasure with us into heaven is to put it into people because the people are the ones who come to heaven. So you meet in heaven people who you supported financially. And you meet in heaven the people who are in heaven because of the people you supported financially. Maybe you give to the church and you think, well, part of my giving is to enable Donald to to be at home during the day to think about what he can say in a sermon. And maybe in heaven you might meet somebody who maybe God has spoken to through a sermon in the church and you say, well, that wasn't me, that was Donald. And they said, yeah, but you paid for Donald to do it. Or whatever it is, that's a bit uh, simplistic. But it's a sense of using our money for eternal purposes. We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give, says Churchill. Takers eat better, givers sleep better. And even Cyrus gave Uh, He probably was giving stuff that he'd stolen, stuff that wasn't his, but he participates in it. And he gives a load of stuff to the folks. And the good news is that our government wants to give to churches. And whatever press and political views we have and whatever we think about governments, the reality is that both... Left and right really values the work of churches in the community and they want to give to us and I'll explain to you in a moment. But you see all of that stuff that's there and it leaves you to this conclusion that God's work is not cheap. Now we're not trying to build the best building in the world. In fact, we've, I'm privileged to have inherited a beautiful building. We want to maintain it but we, we've got a beautiful building. But what we do want to do is to reach people who don't yet know Jesus. And that is not easy. It's actually quite expensive. After calculating the cost per person of winning new believers, the leadership team recommends hiring temporaries. Of course, you can't do that. We can't just say, well, it's too expensive to reach out. So how do we give to church or to any charity or to any mission agency? To Finally, just to, to, to say this. I want to suggest three things in order of best. Best is to be a consistent giver, is to choose what you're going to give at the beginning of your income, uh, to set it aside before you spend it, and to be consistent, decide, this is the amount of money I am going to spend. I'm going to put it, I'm going to make standing orders, or I'm going to put it into a, a, a different account, or I'm going to, whatever it is. But we do it. If you want to give to our church, there are two ways of being consistent that are really helpful for us. You can do it as a standing order. All the details are online. If you go to our website, slash uh, give, you'll get all the details. You can fill that QR code. Or you can use envelopes. We can provide you with envelopes, and I'll explain the value of it. The value of being consistent, saying, here's my envelope, when I put my money in it, is firstly that it enables us to be committed. Instead of, oh, when the bag comes by and we're reminded, or instead of, we've got a load of money left over, we haven't, what should we do with it? That we can be consistent. And that's really important for our discipleship and for what we're building. The second value of doing things consistently in this way is the government will give 25% of every tax, UK taxpayer's giving to our church or to any church, and to most mission agencies as well. All they require is that you declare that you do that. Now, I don't know who that does, but uh, our treasurer and administration team 
will need to know that detail. For 25% more. When we put cash in the bag, we get the cash in the bag. When you put cash in an envelope with your name and you're a taxpayer and you put that you are prepared to, to donate that tax, the government wants to bless churches because they value what we do and they give us another 25%. It's good. And we waste it if our giving is haphazard. And the third thing is a selfish one, but from us as a leadership of a church and any agency, mission agency, any church that you choose to give to, it's really easy, eat hard to plan, to plan if every month your giving is completely different to the month before. We can't lay off staff and bring them back. We can't keep fluctuating. So it's really helpful if our income is consistent and that way we can employ people on a consistent basis. If you're visiting here or any place, other church, and you don't feel you can do that, or you want to know where to put your envelope, now that we're not doing a, a, um, a, an offering, there is a box. Please don't panic. It is screwed to that table. Those of you fancy nicking it, you can't. Well, you could, but you'd have to take the whole table with you, and we'll notice you doing that. Uh, it's locked, but it's screwed down. If you want to put an envelope in with whatever it is, if you do want to, to put a cash donation. There is a third way of giving. There is an iPad in the foyer, also locked in. That just has, it just has a, a keypad that suggests various amounts that you would like to offer, and you can just whack your uh, contactless card over it, and it will give to our church straight away. There will be a cut from that that will go to the company, and like just random cash, there's no gift aid on that. But if that's what you need to do for the time being, maybe you're not a taxpayer for whatever reason, then that's absolutely fine. So those are the three ways of giving. Sheila, I forgot to say about questions. I forgot to say about questions. Uh, if you want to text a question, Mark is going to come and ask some questions in a few moments, and I forgot to say this. If you've been with us the last few weeks, you'll know we've been doing this. If you've got a question, uh, please do use that text number and send it in and we'll ask, I'll try and answer it in a moment or two. But Sheila's going to come and lead us in a song and I want to leave us with some questions to reflect on. I want, firstly, to go back to this idea of building and ask us to reflect for a moment. What is our life building? Sheila wants to come and join me. What are we building with our lives? What do we want to build? What is it that we say to God, here I am, I'm offering my life. I'm offering the relationships. I'm offering the places you've put me. I'm offering the opportunities I've been given. I'm offering what this week will bring, and I want it to build something. I want it to create something in the kingdom of God. Hope, love, justice, salvation, faith, strength, peace, restoration. And a couple of cheeky questions. What are we building with our giving? Where does our money go? And what does it build? And have we got to 10% yet for all our giving? And have we got to 10% just to church giving yet? Is God pushing us, gently nudging us? What are our gifts? Let's stand together.
Lord, we don't want to be pulled back by the undertow where we live our life saying, what will you do for me? We want to live our life saying, what can I do for you? We want to offer our lives to build something significant and meaningful. Will you take our offering? Our time, our relationships, our skills, and our resources. Will you use them for your glory? Will you build through us stuff that we will see in heaven? For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first question is, how practically might God call us or move our hearts? Okay, great question. I think you start off with things... So, very often God uses repetition. Mm -hmm. So you keep seeing something in the same way, and saying it keeps coming back, and it's it's around that. It's a thought around that person, or it's a exposure to that issue, Mm. and you begin to feel stuff about it. You want to do. You want to get involved. You want to change it. And that combines then with opportunity and also with the ability to make a difference. Mm -hmm. So when God moves us, he moves us to do what we can actually do. So it won't be that we'll be moved to to do something ridiculously impractical. Mm. It's it's real. And um, it becomes what we really want. Yeah. So so when, when we spend time with God, he transforms our desires such that they become his desires. So it's, it's, we have, to, you can't just do what you want if you're not spending time with God. But mm. if you're seeking him in places of worship like this, seeking him on your own, and you're desiring to do God's work, you're, you're resisting that undertow and you're saying, my desire is to, what can I do for you? Then what we find is he changes our desires mm. and that, becomes what we want to do so I think these folks that went back it became what they really wanted to Mm. do and it would have come into them from different places over different times it wasn't a spur of the moment Mm. thing it was they thought this is it this is it so if God hasn't yet moved our heart we just simply say to him what is it you would have me do and and we just wait and it will happen it may be in the small things that we just move towards that person we work with and what can we do, what can we, how can we affect them, or we're moved to support that particular work and give to it, or we're moved in a more bigger scale to, to do something mm. significant with our time. And it's something that might be, might be challenging but is within grasp. So it, it might yeah. be just we need the Lord's help to get yeah. there, but it is... Achievable. Yes. It's not something that's so I like, unrealistic. Yeah, I like that. It's within grasp, but it's not actually on our plate. Yeah. It's yeah. go get it. Yeah. Cool. And that intersected with a question that I got about how we recognize it. And I think there's something very significant about the repetition. Yeah. And time spent with the Lord stops the repetition being me looking for the thing that I think it is. But time spent with the Lord is that kind of is going to break that down and mean, mean that it's the, the thing that he is drawing mm. to. 
Um, you mentioned about um, not trying to kind of convince folks that we're around or sell those those building blocks, the the faith, the hope, the strength, but just to be there, be present and walk alongside folks. But do you have any advice for how we maintain that? Um, in our family, we have this this phrase, a joy hoover, someone who comes into the room and it's like all the all the like joy has gone because they just take that away. How how do we st- how do we walk alongside people where it is difficult? How do we, we maintain our joy or any of those things that you've talked about when it's, it's really tough? I think we have to have the other places that rebuild us. Mm. We have to have our Sabbaths. Yep. We have to have the, the time that replenish, replenishes us. That, so we need to know what rebuilds us so that when mm. we're with people who drain us, that they're not emptying us. Mm. Um, so... Uh, it's 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 about saying there is a time to serve and make sacrifice. There is a time to rest and to spend time being rebuilt. Mm. And you, we have to get those things in balance. Yeah. So typically, I think if there are people who we know, I think it's really helpful to identify it and say, this person drains me. Therefore, mm. I'm going to prepare prayerfully. Mm. And I'm not going to wonder why I feel so down when I've come away from them. And I'm going to have other relationships that rebuild me. Mm-hmm. Things that give life and yeah. kind of yeah, restore. Yeah. 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 Cool. Uh, I've written a question down, but I scribbled it out and now can't read anything that I've written. Um, I was thinking about the, the currents, the two, the kind of undercurrent and the main current. How again, practically, what can we do so that we're more of the, God, what can I do for you current than the, God, what can you do for me? What can we put in place? What habits can we cultivate that, that shift the tides almost between those two currents? Mix, anyone who's got any ocean terminology here, it's all over the place, but shifting, shifting the tides <laughs> of the currents. Like Canute. Um, I think... I think having people who we commit to each other that we're going to keep mm. asking the question mm. and reminding us, so a small group, an yeah. accountability, a friend. I think starting the day with a, Lord, what can I do for you? Mm. Here I am. Mm. Maybe just a little mantra, just a little separate, maybe having it written somewhere. That's what we're about. Mm. Um, but it's just very easy to slip. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's it's allowing others to speak in, allowing scripture to speak in, allowing ourselves to be in the presence of God's people where you hear it. I mean, quite often, you know, I would imagine you quite easily go, that's the last time I go to Southern Baptist because it's way too difficult to hear <laughs> that stuff. So it's holding your hand yeah. near the flame. It's mm-hmm. saying, I'll, I'll keep going back and being challenged. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's, for me personally, there's something about, intentionality I can be intentional with a like at one point in my old job I had a a little phrase that was like remember to pray before the meeting like before every meeting pray but it's very easy for that to slip away Mm. and it just disappears so kind of being intentional about keeping those Mm. habits going so how are we doing for time are we uh we're we're losing time we're losing time great uh let me try one more question. So my, uh, my sister, uh, who is very wise, almost as wise as you, Donald, <laughs> uh, 
And she has spoken in the past about doing the opposite. So when we, we sense that we might be greedy or, or hoarding, for example, money, she says, do the opposite, like go and give generously so much that it almost is, is a real challenge and almost hurts. But what would you say to someone if they, they just can't bring themselves to even think about giving at this point in time? What would you recommend to help them start? I think, um, I think, I do think a routine, like a standing order, I really think, mm. because if I got up every day and decided, do I want to give today or not? You know, n nine times out of 10, I would think, no, I don't mm. want to give. But I decided that my bank would do it for me on the second day of the month, and it's done. Mm. And that is far better than shall I, shan't I, shall I, shan't I. So, so I would think, I think it's, a, I think you're never going to get to a point where you think every day I feel like giving. Mm. I think if we're in a place financially where we're right up to the limit and we can, there's absolutely no capacity for me to give, that there is, there is, I think it's Malachi, and he's, God says, test me mm. in this. Mm. Test me. Choose something that you're going to go without, whatever it might be, a small amount of money, and give mm -hmm. that money mm. away. If you're, if you're absolutely maxed out, say, okay, well, I'm going to go without, I don't have a coffee at all mm. all week, and, and, and give that away money at the beginning of the week. And see if at the end of that, if it's been the worst week of your life or whether it's been okay and whether mm. you've noticed. Mm. I suspect that one of two things will happen. Either you'll find yourself getting coffee other ways, or you'll find that you didn't miss it, mm -hmm. or three things, or you'll find that you've still got money at the end of the week mm. and you can have a coffee. Mm -hmm. um, so start small and keep building. Mm. And the next month you go, okay, I can do without a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, I wouldn't go straight into, if, you've ne if you're not giving at all, I wouldn't, unless you're very wealthy, I wouldn't go, unless not wealthy, unless you've got a lot of s spare cash, I wouldn't go straight into 10%. I'd build it. It's, it's a big shift, isn't it's it? It's a to, big shift. Yeah. It's a big shift. So just mm. bit by bit. Yeah. Yeah. But don't wait till you feel it. Choose it. Mm. I'm not a big fan of feelings. Mm. <laughs> Lots of or ways. hugging or all. It's also, about yeah. choices. Yeah. It's about yeah. decisions. Yeah. What you want most out of life isn't always what you feel like today. Mm. Mm. And that applies in so many ways. So taking the feeling of out of it and, and yeah. 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 And putting things in place that keep it going, that are yeah. sustainable, the standing order. That, yeah. Great. I think we're probably up yeah. to time, aren't we? So we are. Yeah. I think we're probably not going to sing, if that's okay. I think we'll just pray. Yeah, Do yeah. you fancy praying for us? I can pray, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Throw me under the bus. bus. Yeah. <laughs> you did say your thing was pray before every meeting. 
on your old job, pray before every before, meal. Before, not during. <laughs> That's the difference between yeah, working for yeah. a church and... Uh, I also love your idea about the kind of charging people to come in. That got me really excited. I've got this vision of us, like, turning into the Ryanair of churches. You want communion? That'll be three pounds. You want to use the toilet? Two pounds. We just charge for everything. Yeah. <laughs> I, we, we I don't think... <laughs> I don't think... I think... Some people don't realise how much it costs to run a church. Yeah. It just, it's here, it's free, it must have just the, you know. I see it because I yeah. have to. Yeah. And it, yeah. we would be mortified if, if you were to pay £20 to walk in. That would yeah. be absolutely yeah. horrendous. So we don't ever want to be in that I'll, place. I'll cross that off my list then for Monday's meeting. No, I, I'm I fully with you on that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's, it, is, it is costly running everything that we do here. And we didn't so. plan it this way because it, other staff are not here. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, when Donald asked me to do this, it wasn't, we didn't, well, you not hadn't planned subject, the sermon. But people can talk to you yeah, about Yeah, that's right. If, you, that's if they right. want help or guidance or information, yeah, yeah. they can talk to yeah. you. Yeah, and that's just a confidential conversation. We don't... You don't yeah, talk to me about it. I don't know, no. I'm forbidden, so... Correct. you want to pray for us? Yeah, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this evening and we thank you for the opportunity that we, we can come and gather together and worship. We thank you that you are bringing us back together, that we can now gather. And we pray that uh, corporately and individually, we will carefully consider what it is that we build. Help us to... Um, be led by you to identify the things where you are already working, the lives you're already working in, the, in, the, in the people that we know, and help us to get on board with what you are doing so that when we uh, reach the end of our lives, we will have built amazing things with you leading that. Would you gently move, Holy Spirit, among us to prompt us to how we should act this week show us where we need to be joyful when it's really difficult or to be faithful prompt us from that those those things that donald has talked about so that we will be your people out in the world this week would you help us and lead us and guide us in the places that we go to be your people. Amen. 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 Suba, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.